You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as the founder of a platform for mafia dons called Snitch Fix, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Eric, that was the worst joke you've ever made so far. (laughs) Anyway, today in the red chair is Katrina Lake, the founder and CEO of Stitch Fix. It's one of my favorite uh, startups, and I actually use it. It's something I use. She started the company in 2010 and took it public in 2017. She's also on the board of Grubhub and Glossier, and we've interviewed Emily on the podcast before. Katrina, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you for having me. I don't me. think you've been on. Recode. I have not. I know. This what is my is first wrong time. With me? What is something's wrong with Kara Swisher for doing that? So let's talk a little bit about you. You've been public for a while now, right? Yes. A couple of years. Yep. All right. So we, I want to get to that, but let's go into your background. Like a little bit. People don't know, people do know you, but let's talk. You're one of the few women CEOs and founders. Uh, we talk to VCs all the time about these issues and things like that, but talk about sort of your quick and dirty of your journey. Um, I mean, the quick and dirty is that this is a space that I fell in love with. I looked Mm -hmm. around and said, lots of people are trying to transform all of these age-old industries, and retail is, like, one of the oldest. And that um, this idea of, like, how do I find jeans that fit me or how do I find a dress that's going to suit what I'm looking for, like, those are still really hard problems to solve and that there's this huge migration of dollars from— offline to online, and yet I felt like the online tools weren't actually helpful in trying to help people navigate that huge world of apparel. And so this was, I honestly, like, I didn't know I would be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to work for whatever amazing person was going to come on your podcast and talk Mm -hmm. about the future of retail. And I spent a lot of time looking around trying to find a company to join and ultimately didn't find anything that I wanted to join, but felt really inspired that, like, you know, if I imagine this world of retail that was different in the future that I could start it on my own. And so um, I had kind of a wandering journey to figuring out how I could be an entrepreneur myself, but went to business school thinking that would be a risk-reduced way for me to start a company and mm-hmm. start you it while that I was MBA. in school. And I don't know if I needed it, but I needed that time, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I needed that to two years it. to work on it and feel like I wasn't failing. And um, worst case scenario, I'd have an MBA. And um, and my goal was What to, did you do before the, right before this? I did before Before Stitch Fix. Before Stitch Fix, I was doing my MBA. Before that, I worked at a venture fund called Leader Ventures. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was part of this thread of, like, maybe I can find the future of retail and um, did a side project for for this guy, Charlie Graham, who had this company called Shop It To Me, which is still around.
around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of reinforced that I love the space. But I went to business school with the goal of um, I want to graduate with a company off the ground, paying myself a salary, paying back my student loans. And that. And if I wasn't able to do that, I'd have an MBA. But that was my goal. And I was lucky enough to meet Steve Anderson in my second Steve year. Steve Anderson is a base, baseline. At baseline Ventures, exactly. Right. And actually, Sukinder Singh Cassidy, she was a mentor of mine. And she was mm-hmm. the very first Google check. Executive. And then Exactly. And then she was the very first check. And then Steve agreed to do the angel round. And um, and so when I graduated, we were kind of off to the races. So you... Uh, you had a uh, you had a not I'm saying easy journey, but you got funded pretty quickly, and the company got up and running relatively quickly in terms of the angel round. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. So talk about the journey from that to going public, because you're one of the few companies that's also gone public. That's right. And, and retail is also an area that's actually done rather well. We just had Julie Wainwright take Real Real public. Mm-hmm. We have Run the Runway. They're all. Public companies, which yeah, is really Revolve interesting. Also Revolve just yes. recently, right? Yeah. So in between the angel round and going public, um, I mean, there's a lot, I guess, in that six year span, sure. seven year span. But um, you know, some of the real highlights were one, there's just amazing product market fit. Where mm-hmm. we, the first few years, we spent no money on marketing and couldn't keep up with the business. It was growing so fast, right. and so you know, we were all of a sudden doing hundreds of million dollars, all of a sudden hitting, um, getting close to a billion dollars, um, and a lot of that was really just because this really strong, like there are just women everywhere and now men who um, who really just felt like this is a solution that helps me in my life and helps right. me to look my that best. Quicker. And, that it's quicker. Um, it's quicker, but it's also more effective. It helps mm-hmm. you to find things that you never would have found and it does it in a really human way. And so I think there was just a real connection of the business with the end consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, the venture side was harder. I mean, this business was, there were times when the business was um, doing phenomenally well. We are close to profitability. We've now been profitable for um, maybe four years, three, four years. And so, you know, the business was healthy. It was doing well. And there are a lot of venture investors that were very skeptical about the model. Right. It's because so many of them, of these retail businesses have gotten to, I'm thinking of Nasty Gal, some others have gotten to a couple hundred million in the, or more and don't reach the next step. Yeah, I don't I you know, I don't even know what the hesitation That's was. That's their mentality, yeah. It was yeah, I mean there were a lot of times we it was super frustrating because we would get to like the very last rounds where you're meeting with a whole partnership and you're just almost there and then we just couldn't get over the line. And and one venture investor who I like who I really respect who's a top tier venture fund investor and he said to me he was like, "Look, I get to invest in one or two companies a year and I'm joining their boards and like I want to love what I do. Like I want to get up every morning and think about your business. And he was like, I just can't imagine getting up in the morning and thinking about women's dresses. And, um, <laughs> oh, God. and like, we'll get into I, sexism later. I, misogyny, I just, but, but you know, I don't even blame him though. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand like I joined the board of Glossier because I love what Emily's doing and I love mm-hmm. her business. And I deliberately didn't join like a gaming company or a Mm-hmm. hunting and fishing company or something else because I love it. And so, like, you know, it's not like I can blame him for what his interests are, but then you step back and you're like, you're looking at the world of venture investors and they all kind of look the same and all kind of have sure. the same interests. And and that's where the problem really is. Right, absolutely. So at going public, talk a little bit about that journey because you are one of the few companies that have gone public. Just recently, there's been a couple more, mm-hmm. uh, Zoom and some others. Um, that's the one that's done well. Uh, Uber and Lyft's not as well. But you're one of the few that had had gone public quite early compared to the others who were staying private. Enormous amounts of time. Talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to talk the next part about the business itself, where it's going. I mean, the decision to go public was one—I I don't really know. Like, the staying private forever thing is—it's, like, it's not— 
realistic. And mm-hmm. I think we, we now see that. Like, I think Uber and Lyft and, you know, there's a lot of companies out there who were trying to stay private as long as they possibly could. And they're now coming out and um, and having to do the same things that, that we did two years ago. And right. so, you know, obviously I think it's a myth that you can really stay private forever. And actually mm-hmm. SurveyMonkey was like the one company that really had stayed private forever. And now they're public too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think it was a reality that that was going to be the outcome for a business of our scale being profitable with a lot of growth mm-hmm. prospects ahead of it. Um, and so then it was really a question of timing of when was mm-hmm. the right time to do it. And I think we went at the right time where we really had really healthy growth rates. We now are in our, I think, seventh quarter in a row of over 20% year over year growth. And so our growth is predictable. It's more controllable. It's more stable. Um, but at the same time, we still have a lot of growth ahead of us where we right. have a $400 billion plus market out there. Um, we're coming up on a year here where we will be doing one and a half billion as our guidance. And so, you know, we have a large base, but still a lot of growth ahead. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I think it felt like the right time to go. Mm-hmm. And what's it like being a public company CEO now? <laughs> it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's challenging though. And I mean, I, I like some of the challenge where it's been really, interesting to better understand how the outside world perceives our business. And, you know, it's definitely been, um, I feel like I've been on a really quick learning journey around communications and just how we can be thinking about communicating our story in a more global way, in a more broad way. Um, we were so private before. We'd raised very little money. So I spent, I spent like- the total you raised? Under $50 million. Mm-hmm. Which is just a little bit, yeah. Which is yeah. a small amount, yeah. And and we built, you know, we and we actually didn't even use all of that. We probably when we were profitable and cash flow positive, we still had twenty some million in the bank. So well, that's a very pure Omidyar of you. <laughs> that's what eBay did. They had tons of money in the yeah. bank still when they. So so go ahead. So being a public company. Oh, so being public. So. Um, I spend my time in more different ways, and it's and it's a lot of it has been really new to me. But um, but I actually really strongly believe it makes us stronger. Where mm-hmm. I think now we um, we really look at every dollar that we are using in the business and really understanding how it's driving long term value. I think it really helps us um, think about our narratives of like what is the larger story of Stitch Fix and how mm-hmm. does this year fit in, and mm-hmm. um, it pulls the lens back farther. Where mm-hmm. people talk about the public market being short term, and like I understand some of that, but for us, I actually think. It puts a discipline. I think it puts discipline. Totally. On and it's made us more long-term in some ways right. because I think, like, it, this isn't about making a quarter. Like, we mm-hmm. care about what are people going to be thinking about Stitch Fix four years from now and how is that going to be reflected in um, in our business? And so um, I actually think in a lot of ways it's made us more long-term thinking. I think public saying private song is a condition of Silicon Valley's juvenile. You know, staying in, staying in private for a long time is, gives you no discipline, no adultness, no— You have to be held accountable someday. Yeah. And, right. like, by the— I mean, in some ways, I think it's easier to do that earlier because then you build the muscle and, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to scale back, I don't know, free lunches and free dry cleaning or whatever. Not just that. It's behavior of CEOs. I think Uber, if they had gone public earlier, they certainly would have had a different story. That's, that would have been You know, think about it just because they have, they, scrutiny is, I think, always a good thing. Yeah. They always, for some reason, Silicon Valley is scared of it. So do you consider yourself a tech company or, or how do you look at Stitch Fix right now? I mean, we're absolutely, the thing that is special about Stitch Fix is absolutely in our technology, in our personal capabilities, and that is undoubtedly what makes the company special and what is going to help make us successful for years and years and years. But this notion of, like, a tech company is one that I think is going to be gone, like, 10 years from now. It's like every— It's like a mobile company. Exactly. Like, it's like if you want to be relevant 10 years from now, like, every company is going to be a tech company. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Airbnb is a hospitality company, and Uber is a transportation company, and we are a retail company. But if if you want to— 
still exists in a decade. I think everybody's going to have to be a tech company and figure out what what is the thing that is going to be lasting about their company. But you're a retail company, really. You're selling things. Correct? We're selling apparel retail, absolutely. Right, right. And other, and you're branching out into other other things. Yeah, we now we have our core women's business, but we now are totally size inclusive. Which is how? Which is how much? That's how most of the business. Most right? of the business is still women's. Yeah, right. But we have petites, maternity, plus size, um, and then two years ago we launched. Almost longer than that, two and a half years ago, almost three years ago. Crazy. We launched our men's business, and then newest our our kids business and yeah. our UK business. Yeah, I noticed the kids business is interesting. It's That's an interesting. Fun. So, and the idea behind that is to get just more, just more market share. Yeah, it's it's market share. It's um, it, you know, the, these are places where I think we deserve to win, and where mm-hmm. our capabilities extend really easily. And rather than let you know somebody else kind of take market share, we're like we wanted to be there first, and mm-hmm. we wanted to be there to take advantage of it. And and there's also a household play element where um, like one interesting anecdote with our kids business is that. Um, if you compare it to other kids' businesses, our, like, what I would call kind of, I don't know, tween audience, kind of like 9 to 13 or so, mm-hmm. um, like, that that segment is bigger than what you would normally see in a kids' business. And what we what we have come to learn is that it's actually because when a mom is getting fixes, then the daughter really wants to get one, too. And mm-hmm. so um, that, I think that mommy and me kind of, you know, not, mm-hmm. just being a, not just being in young kids, but being in kind of this age where kids have more say has been a bigger business for mm-hmm. us. And so this idea of being able to serve a whole household, I think, is also including one that's men, really Including men. men. Yes, How has exactly. the men's business been? It's been great. Um, now we're at about three years, and that business in many ways is just as strong, if not stronger, than our women's business. And mm-hmm. um, and now it's at a point where we can think of it as a business that we can drive and put marketing behind it mm-hmm. and um, have it grow and contribute in, you know, meaningful ways to the business. And so, um, you know, I think the men's business really gives us this confidence that we are now in the business of, like, creating great businesses and that now we think about the kids in the U.K. and how we can grow those to be kind of like the men's business of mm-hmm. being, um, you know, kind of another source of ammunition for us and runway um, as we think about our growth plans. All right, let's think about growth because most of it's still in the main women's business. Now, I use your sti- I use stitching first, Thank first you. because Jason Del Rey made me uh, for some reason. He wanted to get some information, and then I just kept it. And it's fascinating because I'm literally not your demo at all, and you miss me. What makes you say that? Well, I'm not. I'm, I could, well, here's what happened. Did you hear what happened? I think your people told you what happened. Uh-huh. I tell this story. I I got it for a while, and it just never was right. It was like never right, except for some pants. Pants were always good. Like That's I'm great. wearing a pants pants hard to say. Yes, I'm fair, I love all your pants. Your pants are great. I love and it. and when I don't take them, I want them. I just don't need more pants. I like mm-hmm. I have only so many legs. So I got them for a long time, and and fine. And I sent back, and then I always answered your questions. Your weird swirling yep. thing where you say no, no. I'm always like no, 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 no. And it's super helpful. It really is. It's yeah. So anyway, so I finally got a box of it, and. I bought everything in it this one time, like everything. And I, I liked everything. It fit great. great. I loved it. Um, and I, I sent back, you know, sent it back. I don't want to send anything back this week, this month. I usually send the whole package back. And it's super easy. For people who don't know how to use it, you get the box. You like or don't like things. You stick them in the bag that you put in the box, and then you check out. That's it. It's yeah. so easy. It's simple, Just simple, Just pay simple. for what you get. I yep. hate shopping, so it's perfect for me. It's two okay. seconds. So I'm mean, perfect in that regard. But you were giving me all these flowery shirts and all this shit I just didn't want, like, kind of thing. And I took everything this one time, and the stylist wrote me back. I forget her name. She goes, I finally figured you out. You're androgynous and simple, which I was like, <laughs> just a second stylist, lady. But is that inaccurate? It was totally accurate. <laughs> At the same time, mildly insulting, but I like. I was like, "That is, 
correct. Like at first I was like, <laughs> I am so angry that you are correct. And and since then, you've been sending me simple and androgynous clothes and it's worked. I think I should just go to your men's area or something like that. But um, it was really interesting. And I it's weird, but I actually enjoy it. It's a really weird, I don't enjoy many shopping products. And it's an interesting, because I find it, what, are they gonna, what crazy that. shit are they going to send me? Um, but that's kind of what I think so much of the inspiration for me was like, I actually, there were so many elements of shopping that I used to love that I felt <laughs> like e-commerce had taken a lot of the joy away yeah. from it. No and merchandising. stores today, no like, it's yeah. impossible. And, like, when am I going to have time to do that? And so I love to hear that you say that you enjoy it and it makes you love shopping. Yeah. Well, I don't love shopping. Well, you love Katrina. shopping through Stitch Fix. It's fine, yes. And I do. And it's interesting because just recently another friend of mine has been using the renting clothing mm-hmm. from— You guys don't do that. We but don't. Rent the one right does. Yep. But now they're renting outfits for—they they do it. And I thought it was just for gowns and things like yeah, that. But yeah. they do it for their whole life. They do, yeah. Which was really interesting. And yeah. so it makes me think, especially among young people, this idea of— Ownership of clothing is maybe a few pieces, and then you rent every—like, you didn't think of clothes that way. Yeah, it's—I mean, I think all of this innovation around different ways that you can think about apparel is just—it's all goodness for us. And I love to see how the rental market is taking off and that it isn't just about occasions and that that we see so many more women who are thinking about consuming clothes in that way. And to be honest, like, all this lifts all tides for us. It's like right now 80 percent of this industry is still clothes that are bought in stores. Right. And, like, that's amazing that 80% of the dollars are still tied up there. And so, you know, all of these new ways of shopping are really helping people to open up their minds to, like, new ways to, of doing things and mm-hmm. trying things. And um, and I see it all as being really additive. So it's, it's interesting, the innovativeness of, of that, the idea of renting your regular clothes or using brands that you pick. Now, you you're, you have relationships with certain brands, right, correct, that are mm-hmm. exclusive to you or not necessarily—or you're have, just a distribution vehicle for we them? We have both. So we have— um, we have brands that many people know and love, like we'll have Page Denim and we'll have Rag and Bone and mm-hmm. we have, um, you know, a lot of kind of contemporary brands that people know. And then we also have some brands where they are actually creating exclusive product for us, mm-hmm. sometimes under their own brand name. In some cases, they're actually like creating a brand specifically for us. Um, and then we have another portion that is pure, what we really call exclusive brands, which is brands that we've created where we actually create the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a lot of those cases, we're, we're really intentionally doing it. And so in our men's business, for example, when we were first launching, we realized that there is this need for a men's woven shirt, like a button-down shirt that you wear every day um, at $48. And we looked everywhere in the market, and there was no vendor that was making that product at the right price point with the right quality. And so, um, But we really needed that as a go-to-market. And so we um, created relationships with factories, and we um, have our own design team, and we created what we consider kind of the perfect shirt. And, mm-hmm. um, and now that's a really big business for us. And so in our men's in our men's world, those exclusive brands have been especially successful mm-hmm. um, because we have been able to so intentionally create product against what needs that we know there are there. Mm-hmm. But all of those kind of coexist under the Stitch Fix umbrella and help us to be able to have this really diverse, wide breadth of products so that we can serve your style and we can also serve um, you know, somebody else's style who does want the floral shirts that you didn't want. Right. And all of those brands are a really important part of the equation. So I want to talk a little bit about sort of the when you're thinking about the idea of what's changing in your business, what have you changed since founding? Because it, it feels the same. A lot of it does feel the same. But how do you continue to innovate in that way? Or do you watch other people? Yeah, I mean, what's I think what's really 
I think both interesting and also the opportunity with Stitch Fix is that like behind the scenes, um, a hundred. What's really cool is a hundred percent of what we sell. So like this year we're doing a billion and a half in sales. A hundred percent of that a billion and a half is by recommendation, and like that's such a powerful concept. And like I don't I don't know if there's anybody Meaning else that what can people reject. 100% of what we sell is by is because we recommended it. It's oh, not, I see. Oh, I you know see. what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, we're selling clothes all right. by our recommendation. But you're also getting the feedback cycle of what people reject, Exactly, too. for right. sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the, all of the sales are because we recommended it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not coming to a website and clicking saying, I want this exact thing, and we're shipping it. That's not right. how we how we operate. And so, in apparel, that's like a really radical concept that, mm-hmm. um, that all of the sales would be, um, you know, not selected by you. And what that has done is created this incredibly strong personalization muscle that we have. And so we have this amazing capability where whenever we're sending you things, we have a high degree of confidence in terms of what you're going to keep, what you're not going to keep. And we have scores that predict that really accurately. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's helped us to drive this business today of like sending often five things in a box to men and women and kids. And my point is more of just in the last eight years, Mm -hmm. like there's nothing that you as the end consumer really sees except that actually like our keep rates have gotten better and Mm -hmm. that people are more satisfied. And those are things that um, that we've been able to see over that time period, but we're not necessarily showing you kind of behind the scenes or how the sausage is made. Um, but the reality is like the personalization capabilities are so good now um, that what we're really thinking about is like, how do we bring those to life in more ways? And how do we make it so that um, you can engage with Stitch Fix in ways that isn't just kind of in that box and five things? And how can we take these amazing capabilities that we have and help it to um, expand our wallet share with you and our addressable market? And so, um, you know, so I think we'll, you'll see more to come on that front. But even in the last six months, you'll see Style Shuffle, which you talked about where you thumb up and down things. That's been kind of a new product innovation. And we talked um, a little bit about buy new colors, which is actually relatively new where um, you can then go back and see all the product that you've bought in the past that was recommended from us and buy things um, uh, if you want the pants that you love and other colors, those are things that you can do. And so those hopefully are glimmers of kind of the types of product changes. No, that was interesting. We'll talk about that when we get back because uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is how you shift. It's an expression. I'll, I'll explain it when I get back. It's from Scott Galley. It's called a rundle. A rundle. Yeah. All right. All right. You'll find out in a minute. Uh, we're here with Katrina Lake. She's the founder and CEO of Stitch Fix. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're here with Katrina Lake. She's the founder and CEO of Stitch Fix, which is a clothing—what do you call it? A clothing 
recommendation company, or clothing, yeah, a retailer, we'll go with that. clothing recommendation. What you do is you you get a, a box of five things, and a lot of companies have tried this. Uh, there's dog companies that do this. There's all kind. There's all kinds of things that you try things and return them essentially, um, and then you you buy whatever you keep you buy and then you send things back rather easily. It's a pretty fant- it's a pretty nifty system for especially for people that don't like going to stores like myself. And it's an interesting way to try to figure out which everyone likes. Do you have like a, a, a customer? Do you is do you have like a hipster girl or what what's the We you know we actually have stayed away from personas because Yeah, it doesn't seem to have a it, and it's really like we should be able to serve everybody. Like our our um, our inventory is is broad and wide, and I think that's what's really powerful about being in the business of personalization is that we can have a different storefront for every person. And mm-hmm. so for you, we can have what, androgynous and, and simple. <laughs> Thank you. And for somebody else, we might have more of a bohemian romantic, and mm-hmm. um, and that helps us to be able to serve people who are 15 years old, 65 years old, and serve them equally well um, in in their aesthetic and their style and their point, and I think that's part of what creates the really large opportunity ahead for us. So when you talk about the opportunity, so you're moving into other categories like men's and children's and, mm-hmm. and abroad. Now, the UK is your first, UK is our first, that's first right. international expansion. What about things? You also have other things, right? Other products, accessories and things like that, shoes and Currently belts we have, and yes, earrings, I think. We do, we do, yeah. yes. And that's for just trying that out or just No, we have that's been part of our business for a while. So yeah. we have shoes, um, accessories, I jewelry. Get shoes. You sell would you like more shoes? No, I not necessarily. That. No, no. I got shoes. I just bought these cool shoes, but I didn't I, some stylist handed them to me uh-huh. from Vox and I just put them on and that's it. That's how I go I roll. But what else could you have? This idea of a rundle, let me explain. It's it's a company you trust, say an Am- I'm just gonna use an Amazon or a or an Apple. Apple mm-hmm. would be a good one. And you or Nike, and you trust them with your sports stuff, so why wouldn't you trust them with your blank, like your gym membership? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you trust them with other things? Like right. a more of a relationship because you trust that company to make selections for you. And right. so it's sort of a subscription bundle. So it calls it a rundle. I don't know why. Oh, interesting. Sounds very Amish. Um, but but the, the idea is that you have a larger relationship with a company, that you trust them for a lot of things. Is that what you're thinking of when you say, you know, other th- you see glimmers of things when you see? Yeah, it's more just, you know, I think this idea of like, personalization today has happened in the form factor, as you said, of five things that you're getting in a box. Mm-hmm. When you're engaging with Style Shuffle, for example, you're thumbing up. You can log into Explain your this, app. People. So you can log into your Stitch Fix app, and you'll get a little quiz that says, what do you think of this? Yeah, and then you can game. take a denim quiz, or you can take a night out quiz, or you can take um, a jackets quiz, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and you can thumb up and down things and let us know what you're liking. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a glimmer of um, of a way that you can engage with us that's not just kind of in so the what box. So ha- that happens. I make selections. And, and today, that actually massively improves our ability to get to know you, but actually also our ability to get to know all of our clients. And mm-hmm. so um, it turns out that that data, so w- you talked about kind of the surveys that you fill out. The surveys mm-hmm. that you fill out at the end of the fixes, those are super helpful in us helping understand fit. And so mm-hmm. when you say this fit perfectly or this didn't fit perfectly and why, um, style has been a little bit harder to unlock. And the mm-hmm. style shuffle has been a really, really helpful thing for right. us. Because what did I like? Because you didn't know. You can't say why you don't like something. It's harder for people. It's kind of, it's harder. And, you know, style shuffle gives us a read on a much broader thing, a swath of inventory. Mm-hmm. So you might get a floral shirt in your fix and say, like, look, I'm just not going to wear florals. And like, 
great, but then like there's all kinds of more data that we can get from you in Style mm-hmm. Shuffle, which happens more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, can, you can do it every single day if you'd like. And so that's an example of um, kind of a new way to engage. Um, but I think the idea is that like with personalization, like we can actually take this capability, and it doesn't have to be five things. It doesn't have to be in the box. And to your point, it doesn't even have to be apparel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the really special part about this company that will um, be thinking about how do we use that capability to grow, you know, over the next 10, 20 years. Right, because growth is, I mean, we're going to run out of people who want to be stitch fixed, presumably, or, or not, or just... Yeah, I mean, we're not even close to that yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're at a point now where we have 3 million active clients, and, um, you know, our addressable market is $400 billion and we're doing a billion and a half. And so, like, we're not even close to that. But I think we just—this capability around personalization is so strong. And in apparel in particular, no one else is able to do this in the way that we are. Well, it's interesting. I covered a company, and I'm blanking on the name of it. Oh, my God. I, it was in Washington, D.C., and it was a hot, hot company. For, I covered retail. I don't know if you know that mm-hmm. for a year. Yeah. So I, I know a lot more about retail than you think. And one of these companies, and I'm thinking, it was a very trendy teen retailer, uh, and it was in Washington, D.C., and it took off like a Roman candle on the uh-huh. on the stock market. It was crazy, crazy. And then, and they had all these shops, and then they had hamburger joints inside the shops. It was like, it was, and they always had the right thing that the teens wow. wanted for a while. What was this? Hamburger I forget. joints? Oh, I'm blanking. I'm blanking. It was in Washington. I'll remember it later. Uh-huh. But it was back in the, in the, in the a 90s, early 90s in Washington, D.C., maybe 80s even. It, what was really interesting is they missed one season or two seasons. It was a season and a half that they missed. I don't know. They got, like, culottes when everybody wanted, pedal pushers, uh-huh. and that was the friggin' end of the— th- 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 and every teen abandoned them in seconds. <laughs> like, it was fascinating. And so they were hot, 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 and then they were not. Like, and they were—and then they closed. It was, like, fascinating. And you, when I was covering retail, you saw that. Like, the Gap is a very good example. Yeah. Remember? They went way too far into fleece. Like, mm-hmm. and then they went way too far into weird fashion. And— and it's the it's the real curse of a retailer not to get it right. But you all don't have to not get it right because you can shift it immediately, correct? Yeah, and you're not making a big bet on culottes or something or whatever. No, and and, and there's two reasons for that. I think one is because we are a retailer and we're mm-hmm. not kind of vertical, and so right. we're not necessarily hitching our horse to one specific aesthetic, right? right. Like we're not the right. I don't know. Like there's not like an aesthetic well, point of view that we have. Um, and then the second part though is because we have this amazing data, like we are able to kind of see these trends come and go. And mm-hmm. so, um, for example, with um, with like the rise and now we're kind of getting over the fall of skinny jeans, where like right. we could see I that hate skinny, skinny jeans. I'm like I am full on to yeah. you know wider leg, right. highest Mom rise jeans. I can find. <laughs> Go ahead. They're cool, though. They're cool. Know? I think mom jeans are cool. <laughs> um, and so, but we can see those trends materialize yeah. in the business. And um, and then, I mean, the other thing is also, like, our business is we're selling over $400. Our, our revenue per client is over $400 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, at our at our price points, like, that's actually a fair amount of things. Mm-hmm. And what we're selling are, yes, we definitely have a small—we have a percentage of our assortment that is more of the trend forward, kind mm-hmm. of what is hot at this very no, moment. No, you have them there. I see them. But, like, a lot of our things— are going to be <laughs> a lot of what we sell is jeans that you're going to be able to wear for multiple seasons, blazers that could last you years, mm-hmm. and like a lot of those staple pieces. And right. so um, the reality is the trend part of your wardrobe is actually kind of a small part. Right. Um, and so you know we're not as we're, we're not as married to kind of the exact thing. Right. But that what was is. interesting, regular retailers weren't exciting enough, and then these trend retailers are. Like mm-hmm. I think I think the growth of something like how do you look at an H and M or or the Muji or or things like that? How, I, I just bought a pair of Muji pants. Great. Yeah. I was in, I happened to be in France. It was hot. 
as hell, and I did not have appropriate pants for 110-degree <laughs> French weather. Really hot. So I went in Muji and got a pair of—I like Muji. It's very simple yeah. in that way. How do you look at those retailers, sort of that idea of— Reaching, not trendy, but tr- on trend. Yeah. I mean, there's there are so many choices in apparel retail. And mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways that ends up serving as our advantage because, mm-hmm. like, you know, do you really—it's uh, awesome that you love those pants for Muji, mm-hmm. but it's like if you were really going to set out really on an— hot. Ex- <laughs> if you were going to set out an expedition and say, like, what are the best linen pants that I can find on the planet? Like, mm-hmm. you could literally spend hours and hours mm-hmm. doing that research. And, um, and who in their right mind is going to devote hours and hours of their life to trying to figure out— the millions of products that are available to me from right. the literally hundreds of retailers out there. Like, where are the things that are going to be best for me? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, like, an enormously difficult proposition for any any person. And so I think a service like Stitch Fix, which, which can use kind of the combination of data and a stylist to help navigate that huge world, is a really attractive proposition. So when proposition. you say out of the box, what do you, what you just said that, you just kind of dropped that. But what does that mean? When you said not a box experience, not sending you a box, what else would you do? Oh, well, so I just mean that it doesn't, like, the idea of having a personalized experience doesn't just need to be in those five things. Mm -hmm. And I think the opportunity is, like, how can we show more of how we're personalizing in your experience? How you talked about the buy new colors, for example. You know, there's lots of other ways that you can engage with Stitch Fix. And so um, this, we're we're not committing to exactly what that looks like. But I think over time, like, what I would love is, um, like, I think today people kind of wrongly categorize us as subscription. And people think of us as, like, they think of Stitch Fix and they think of the box. Mm -hmm. But as I think about five years from now, like what I hope is that everybody thinks of Stitch Fix and like, okay, they understand me, they know me, and that personalization part of our business is Mm -hmm. going to be the dominant part of what people are thinking about. And the multiple brands. I think people seeing different brands. Totally. And like just being able to feel like this is a place to discover and find brands that I'm going to love. How are brands liking using you? You do have a lot of rag and bone. I saw Vince. I think it was Mm -hmm. a Vince in there. Vince, yeah. Vince was in there. Some of the stuff I buy normally. Yeah, Um, great. Not theory yet. We do have theory. You do have theory I've never forgotten theory. It's okay. interesting. I'll write that I'll to add my that to you. All right, thank you. But how do you get them to think about a boxed selection? They've all got their stores. They've got mm-hmm. all kinds of ways to go through department stores. What is your argument to them? Oh, our brands love working with us. And, yeah. I mean, we are, it, we're a really pure matching channel. Like, we are a way where we can figure out who's going to really love this brand and match them in a way that doesn't have to do with, you know, kind of being super cheap or the cheapest price and um, and really preserves their brand and introduces their brand into somebody's home. And um, and that's an incredible value proposition for our brands. Um, and then in addition to that, we help them to really understand um, what's working and what's not working and why. And mm-hmm. so with most other retailers, um, you're selling them, you know, 10,000 shirts. You have no idea why they worked or they didn't. Mm-hmm. In our model, we actually share back with our brands so that they understand like, hey, this didn't work and it's because the sleeves are too tight or this color was too bold or, mm-hmm. um, you know, this this worked well, and let's do it in you know four other colors because people said they wanted in other colors. I mean, there's so much more that we can share with brands to help mm-hmm. them to be more successful, not only in our channel but also in others. In their own channels, and too. It, exactly. Like we have examples of um, a t-shirt vendor who has you know for years and years sold into traditional retail, and um, until they were working with us, they didn't realize that their it was a men's brand. Their extra extra large was actually fitting like an extra large, mm-hmm. and. 
for years they didn't know that because like if you sold into a store like it they're sells or it doesn't sell they're gone right. like they don't know and they don't know that it's actually an extra large person and not an extra extra large person buying the shirt and so with our with our data we could actually show them like hey like this shirt is doing great but like the size is off and like right. if you want to have better sales like you need to change the sizing right. and they were able to iterate that in our channel but also in all of their channels and help mm-hmm. help their business overall so when you're when you're sharing this data uh, we're going to talk in the last in the next part about Amazon and sort of the other retailers but let's talk about other retailers first. Where do you look out and see, like, rent the one runway? How do you look at that? That's not a competing business to you, I don't think. Uh, yeah, it's I a don't different think it's business. competing. I mean, I love it. I right. love what they're doing. I love that they're encouraging consumers to try to consume apparel in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I love that it's just another innovator in the apparel space, which is, like, 80% of this of this, you know, $400 billion world is still being sold in brick-and-mortar stores. And right. So, um, so anything that is kind of innovating and unlocking some of those dollars is a good thing. So that's them. And then is it Revolve? Revolve. Mm-hmm. Revolve. And that's another one where they have stores where they only have one item in each place and they bring you things. But they have a sort of a different kind of experience. Yeah, I'm not as close to the stores yeah. with the one thing. With the one, yeah, they, it's, I think Revolve does that. Um, the other one is obviously Real Real. Uh-huh. Which Love is a very real, different real. thing, very which different. is a recycled business, really, yeah, a exactly. recycling around business, which is kind of interesting. It seems like, it sounds crazy, but if you look across the entrepreneurial landscape, there's been no innovation in social media forever, forever, uh-huh. since 2011 with Snapchat, uh-huh. you know, and they remain, as I've always said, the product arm of Facebook, because Facebook <laughs> just steals their ideas and uh-huh. iterates them. You have no innovation in search, there's Google just hanging above it. Mm-hmm. Retail's been an area with a whole lot of yeah. innovation, and yet there's Amazon. And, you know, I mean, it's a crazy thing because 80% of, in the U.S., mm-hmm. 80% of apparel is still bought in stores. Right. Like, Amazon has single-digit market share. Right. Like, today. that's today. Right. Exactly. Right. Go ahead. And that's the opportunity. And right. I think that's why you're seeing so much innovation in this space because I think the age-old equation of how do you eco- how do you bring something online, which is like I'm going to sell it cheaper, I'm going to ship it to you faster. Like that was the Convenience, equation. Yeah. Convenience, and that was the equation of how how are you going to migrate dollars offline to online. Mm-hmm. And in apparel, like that's it's just not what people are looking for. Like right. no one is going and you know going online thinking like oh I have a date tomorrow, I want to look really great. Let me find the cheapest black dress that's going to ship to me fastest. Like mm-hmm. that is is not how people buy apparel. Right. And so I think that's really why you're seeing all of this innovation around what people are actually looking for in the value proposition of apparel and that, you know, these are all going to be the vehicles that help to unlock more and more of that um, that market share that's still stuck in stores. So are you worried about Amazon? They are getting into clothing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of socks and underwear right now, I guess, and, and some other things. But how do you look at their moves into apparel? Yeah, I mean, it's impossible not to think about Amazon. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're an incredible company, and they've innovated in so many different spaces, and mm-hmm. they're willing to try anything, and I give them so much credit for that. And so we absolutely keep an eye on them. Um, but I think what gives us confidence is that personalization is all we do. Like, 100% of our success depends on our ability to get you the blazer that you want and the jeans that you want. And so we're really, really focused on this one capability as being the way that we're going to be able to win in apparel in the future. And I think that focus is so far well invested where we feel really confident in that. And I look into the future of, of retail apparel, and I do still think that personalization is going to be the way that you're going to be able to um, grow and continue to unlock and be successful in the future. So you're not worried about their 
all their formulas and different things and relationships with customers. They, I watch they slowly it. marched into things. Absolutely, yeah. They're marching more towards furniture right now, but they march towards apparel. <laughs> they've, they've tried a lot, and, mm-hmm. um, and we definitely keep an eye on them, but I think the thing that you know, that that keeps me up at night is more of just like, how do we innovate faster? How do we get even better and better at this? Like that's, I I feel like I'm more thinking about ourselves and our capability first. Mm -hmm. And when you think about where that goes in terms of measuring people, in terms of having a different, you know, there's all kinds there. I've seen so many different iterations of retail things where they're going to come and measure you perfectly, that everything's going to be made just for you. How do you look at that market? Um, I think that truly personal, like, you know, most if you're people, talking about personalization, it's closed just for you. Right. The, designed just for you. Yeah. And I think in some categories, um, that's useful. And for some people, that's really useful. But, I mean, by and large, people are going to be able to wear off-the-rack clothes. And the question is, though, which ones are going to be best for you? Because different brands are going to be cut differently. There's, um, you know, in some cases, a petite offering is going to be better for you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we, I think being able to have a broad assortment with lots of different vendors, um, we have a measure behind the scenes that we call latent size. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you might think that you're a size four, but like we actually know if you're a bigger size four or a smaller size four. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're able to match you with the product that's going to be better, even within just that one narrow band of mm-hmm. what's going to fit you best. And right. so, um, you know, I, I think that that capability is um, is going to be much more useful of like trying to make sure that you can navigate that huge world to figure out what product is right for you. Um, and that, you know, the in, it's kind of a rarer occasion when you're really going to need something like made to order. Mm-hmm. So last question, this part, because I want to talk about the future, future retail, but you look around the streets, of the, I just got back, uh, the Castro closing stores everywhere, uh, parts of Brooklyn. I just noticed everywhere, everywhere I go, retail, every small town, every big town, has offline retail has gotten a hit that it doesn't look like it'll ever recover from. Can you talk about this? Do you feel responsibility toward that? Or how do you look at it? I blame Amazon more than you, but you know what I mean? How do you look? Do you think people have just abandoned the idea of that? No, I don't I think— I mean, you don't have a store, right? You we don't like have Glossier a store. Glossier does. Mm-hmm. Glossier does, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. The Glossier store was literally—you couldn't— you wait for an hour. Wait for and an half. hour to get in. It was moms and daughters a lot, and it was an experiential kind of thing. But you don't have that. No, we don't. Why? Um, today, it's we just see so much growth in our and online and just doing what we do direct to consumer today. And so it's just not part of our growth plans right now, um, which isn't to say that it won't be in the future. But I don't know. I hope that it's not the end of stores, honestly. I think it's just more of thinking through, like, how does a store fit into your business? And Mm -hmm. I think the old version of what a store was is, like, it's a place for a transaction. You come in, you find something, you pay for it. And, like, the reality is, like, e-commerce is almost always going to be quicker and faster and in that regard. In, in that regard. And so if your store is a transactional convenience-based play, I think it makes it really hard to compete against like an Amazon. Mm-hmm. But like a Glossy, that's a great example. Like people are waiting like an hour to go into that store. And mm-hmm. um, this is in Los Angeles, the one I was in. Yes. And they just they did they do pop-ups. They yeah. just and I mean and and those are amazing experiences or places where you can experience the brand, where you can try things and pictures um, take pictures for sure and connect with the brand. And so, you know, I think that's a, a good example of what mm-hmm. a new version of a store can be. And I don't know what that's going to look like for Stitch Fix, but I, you know, I think there is a place in the world for stores. I think it's just going to be very different than what we saw in the past. And so I think we're just in the middle of this inflection point of like right. a store that's set up for, I'm just going to take your money and sell you products. Mm-hmm. 
Which having works a hard fine time. if it's iced tea and cigarettes or something like mm-hmm. that, but not so much if it's Maybe other not things. even cigarettes these right. days. Right, yeah, 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 so you can get them. One of the things that's interesting, I was with even with boys, when, you know, you always think of shopping with girls, which you shouldn't, or you were women, but my sons had to go, my sons who never go to retail stores, they go to the Nike store, they love the Nike store for some reason. Um, the which, Nike store is another great example. It's yeah, like a just, brand experience. I know, it just gives you know? me a headache, and, <laughs> and then I always end up spending $400, like, no matter what <laughs> I do. effective brand experience. Right, I guess, whatever, I always end up poor when I leave that store. Um, or you look at a Warby Parker. That's another brand experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's an offline to online yeah. brand experience. But um, was Tyler the Creator had a store um, in Los Angeles, a pop up store in mm-hmm. Fairfax, and you waited in line to get in, <laughs> and then they had only one of every item. And then somehow I paid $150 for a sweatshirt. <laughs> and, and I literally was like, how did this happen to me? And I couldn't take pictures. And so it was the whole thing was fascinating um, as, a re- as an online, offline retail experience. Yeah. Um, and I thought, this is the future of offline. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was experiential. It was yeah. different. It, was, it wasn't one of a kind precisely, but it was a special experience, which right. was kind of interesting. So you don't see stores in your future? Well, just not in our immediate future. We honestly, we just have too many other growth initiatives right now. But mm-hmm. um, but I think it's interesting. I don't think the stores are dead. I think they just are going to occupy a very different place in the consumer journey. And I don't know. I'm excited to see what that looks like. All right, we're going to talk about the future when we get back with Katrina Lake. She's the founder and CEO of Stitch Fix. We're here with Katrina Lake. She's the founder and CEO of Stitch Fix. We're talking about where retail is going. What is the most exciting futuristic thing that you've seen if you look at where do you think retail is going to go? Is it all going to be online and then some offline? or Because almost every product can be put online, it feels like. Yeah. Um, you know, I think this idea of, like, how do you merge all of the sensory inputs that you have? Like, you think about, like, you're going through Instagram and you like some things. You see something that somebody's wearing when you're walking by and you like that. And, like, how do you actually merge all of those into, like, the collective, this is my style and this is who I am, and then be able to um, execute on that? Like, I think today, like, all of that is really disparate. Like, you're liking things on Instagram. You'll be mm-hmm. pinning things on Pinterest. And then that's totally disconnected from, mm-hmm. like, your online browsing experience where mm-hmm. you're still going into Google or whatever search Amazon, platform yeah. and yeah. searching for things. And um, and so I think, you know, I think the future is going to be um, just a more cohesive way for you to be able to kind of ingest and understand what your style is and then a more effective way to be able to show up like the person that you want to show up. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't know that I've seen that yet. I feel like I've seen like bits and pieces of it. Mm-hmm. but Such um, as where? Such as... Where have you seen that? Where, I don't know. I mean, all these things that I just mentioned. Like, right, I think yeah. you look at the way that people are cobbling this together now, right. and you can um, cobble together kind of like, what are the things I like? And then you can um, use your Stitch Fix closet, or you can... There's other... Actually, there's sure. other closet apps, but there's all. it's all kind of a disparate experience today. How do you market your company? Through Instagram or for other... Yeah, we use... Um, we have a wide variety of ways, <laughs> and we're committed to diversifying our marketing channels so that, like, not one channel is a big... Is a, you know, more than 50%, but, yeah, of course, Facebook book and Instagram and we do podcasts actually we do mm-hmm. a lot of advertising on podcasts a lot of people listen to podcasts they do. good thing yeah. um, and we also use radio we also use TV mm-hmm. and then what we're really what we're sophisticated with now is to be able to attribute where um, where people are being exposed to Stitch Fix and how we're getting them through the funnel um, but you know Stitch Fix is a really different type of because you're not a subscription people do think people also do yes but, think you're, but you're not we're you not you don't have to pay anything you have to pay for it when you get it you pay for it when you get Get it absolutely, and um, while you can get fixes, you know, get it quarterly or get it every other month. Like mm-hmm. first of all, you don't have to; you can do it all a cart anytime. Um, and there's no notion of like I'm committed to paying a certain amount every month. Right. Um, yeah. You're really just you're paying. That would for annoy what you me. Keep. 
That well, wouldn't annoy me. We no, won't I, do that no I don't like a subscription. <laughs> I just found out I was uh, on a subscription for a service I didn't know, and I've been paying for years. Like, and no, I and that's. Know. I think like that's. I love that our incentives are aligned. Like, we don't profit unless you are finding things that you love. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of like paying, you know, charging somebody in the background for something that they're not getting value out of, like that's absolutely not what we do. And that's part of the reason I bristle a little bit when people mm-hmm. um, use the word subscription with our business. Mm-hmm. So how do you educate them? Um, I mean, it takes time, and I think, and it's also showing them a little bit more around like the, everything that we send, sell is one to one personalized. Like mm-hmm. we have a stylist who um, is, you know, it's remarkably human that somebody would say in their note, like I get your style now, yeah. and it's androgynous and simple. Like that is a remarkably human thing for somebody to say. And I so, felt it was a bot, but that was fine too. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can train a bot to do that, we'll yeah, buy your Nikki. bot. I think I forget who it was. I don't remember the name, but I felt it was a bot, and I was fine with that. I was not. I was okay with a bot. So well, I don't know me. that we have a bot good enough to, to do There's that gonna quite be yet, a bot. But There's going to be a bot that knows what Kara Swisher wants to wear. And un, No, and unquestionably, like, our data is helping us to learn that more yeah. and more. But, like, those human connections and even that license to say that to you, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, that's something that I think only a, hum, a human judgment can do. And mm-hmm. so um, that's remarkably different about our model, and that's also what is really special about our model. And, you know, and, and that those are more of the adjectives and associations that I would love for us to be known for. All right. I want to finish up talking about a couple more things. Uh, among being a woman leader, but I want to, before I get to that, before I get to that, I know you have to endure those questions all the time and men don't have to, but you are one of the few. You're one of the few women leaders. But when you think about like things that you're scared of as a CEO, let's get into that way. What is something you've done that you've been like, oh, that was a mistake or I shouldn't have done it that way? I don't know. I mean, I think one of the things that has, uh, there are two big learnings that I feel like I've had. And like one is just like how valuable really good people are. And mm-hmm. um, when I, I feel like I used to like, you know, you're going to hire somebody and you call references and you right. like, you do back channels and whatever. Right. And, always wrong. And <laughs> well, and now what I listen for is like, it's not enough for somebody to say like, oh yeah, like I liked working for Kara. Like mm-hmm. I want somebody to be like, I love working for her and this is why, and these are the things that she did. And like that difference between like, I like I like them and I love them is mm-hmm. like a huge difference because that love is where you get yeah. that irrational loyalty and some Someone who, um, like, just, like, is hearts and minds invested. And so, mm-hmm. like, that's, I think, just, like, hiring really amazing people that people love to work for is mm-hmm. something that um, I undervalued. And today I just, like, so— It is interesting because people don't give honest feedback. First of all, they don't give honest—you got the like part, but mostly people don't give honest feedback It's at very all. easy for somebody to say, like, oh, yeah, I like them. Yeah. It's actually a much higher bar for somebody to be like, I— yeah. Yeah, love them. Yeah, right? it's interesting because I get called a lot about references. I often say, "No, they're awful people." Like you know, <laughs> people are like, "What?" And I don't leave like, you off my reference. No, list. But, no, but you know what I mean. Like it's so funny. Someone called me the other day and like oh, they didn't get to hire someone. I said, "Oh, you can miss that bullet." And they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "That person's a jerk." And they're like, "What?" We hadn't heard that. I'm like, "Well, then no one's telling you the truth." Like, and it was interesting because no, it was it was it's just interesting when I think about that myself. So so one is finding so one is people. finding amazing people, and I think the second one is actually more. Um, it's like about it's broadly about communication is maybe the way I put it of just mm-hmm. like how as the organization is thousands of people like so many of these decisions that we make like we make them really thoughtfully and we're we look at it we turn it over a thousand different ways and mm-hmm. then like a decision is made and like mm-hmm. a lot of times like as an employee in the organization you just hear about the decision and right. you don't hear about all of the right 
whatever making in the behind the scenes. And I think what I've learned is like actually sharing more of that and helping bring people along. It's like it's good education. It's helping people to understand like what the trade-offs are. And so I think that's another thing that has been just like a really good learning journey for me. But that's a different way because top-down without any explanation is how most companies run. Yeah, maybe. And or maybe that's the way we're used to it running. And right. like I and and so that it's weird because it was like I feel like I'm all about like creating a new company and yet I feel like when it came to sharing decisions like that, I don't know that I thought about it. And then mm-hmm. now that I think about it through the lens of somebody who doesn't have all that context and I'm like, of course they would want to better understand why we're making that decision. And mm-hmm. so I'm just like so much more thoughtful now in terms of um, how we communicate with employees and how much we want to share mm-hmm. and sharing those decisions in really authentic ways to be able to say like here here's what was hard about the decision and here were the trade-offs and I don't know. So I think that like authenticity and communication has been another big learning for What's me. What's the thing you're most scared of as the leader? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, there's a lot of things that are hard <laughs> um, in terms of what, like, I think there's just a lot of expectations, I guess, of just like, it's it's really hard and, I, and I've and i gotten such thicker skin over this, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard when you feel like you can't make every single person happy. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's just like always going to be true. And at any given point, I think we're trying to like, I don't know, optimize for like, how do we make our clients happy? And that's first and foremost, but also doing it in a way that our employees are empowered. And so I don't know that I'd say that there's anything like big and scary that I'm scared of, but Mm -hmm. I think there's just, you know, there's a lot that you have to think about in a role like this. And there's a lot of trade-offs and they're not always easy things to trade off. Do you feel like you have extra duties as being a woman leader, one of the few? I mean, you yourself, we're not going to go into the stupid Justin thing, but thank you very much for talking to me about that, by the way. You don't understand how very few people talk on the record. Katrina was bothered by an idiot investor and was very brave enough to talk about it, which is unusual, by the way, just so you know. And to be clear, I'm legally obligated to not talk about it. I know that. That's fine. I'm not going to—no, but you did. Like, you you stood up and talked about it enough, like, in the way you did. But when you're a woman leader, uh, do you feel that you have different expectations with Wall Street on you, or do you feel—or not? Or do you say, this is the leader I am? Because there are so few— there, I mean, yes, the answer has to be yes. I think mm-hmm. I, I feel greater um, gravity, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and that shouldn't be. You should be able to be a terrible, you should be able to be good. Like, you can't be terrible is the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's, and to be honest, I mean, I don't want to be terrible anyway. And mm-hmm. so, like, it's not like it's hard to do that. But I do feel like I, um, like, I just, these things mean more. And, like, mm-hmm. the IPO picture is, is a good example where um, it's, a, I mean, it's kind of a longer story, but, like, that, I've never been good at fundraising. I've mm-hmm. been terrible at fundraising, and the IPO was kind of no exception, whereas a little rocky, why is it was that? hard. Why? Did, why? I just, don't know why. You can ask investors. Yeah. Um, but it's just always been hard for me. I think you can be a, you can be a good CEO with being good at a multitude of things. And, right. like, there's some CEOs who are really good CEOs because they can raise tons of money. And, like, mm-hmm. you can do a lot if you raise tons of money, and that's just not me. So, anyway, with the IPO, it was kind of rocky, and, you know, we were pricing below the range, and that was kind of sad. And um, But it, it was also, at the same time, really, like, motivating, where we all felt like, okay, that's fine. Everyone wants to underestimate us. We've lived through this before. We're, like, we're going to do this our way. And that actually contributed to this, like, the picture that ended up getting passed around Twitter quite a bit of, like, me mm-hmm. up there with my son, who was at the time of year. Yeah. And um, and there's, like, a shot list at the NASDAQ of, like, what all the pictures were. And I was kind of like, screw the shot list. Like, we're just right. going to, like, do this our way. Um, right. And and I— like It's kind of weird and antiquated, isn't it? The way they do that. Anyway, I just always <laughs> find it odd. <laughs> it was it was like a orchestrated wedding. But anyway— yeah, and so, everyone always does it. Yeah. And it's funny. And you just kind of go along. Yeah, and it's no. a busy day. And yeah. But and the point is, is, like, I, I felt very empowered in that moment of, like, 
screw this, we're going to do this our way. Mm -hmm. And that moment in some ways was kind of a turning point for me and how I think about myself as a leader in motherhood and being a woman because I I don't think I fully realized until that moment that, like, it was meaningful to a lot of people that weren't me of Mm -hmm. being up there with my son and what Mm -hmm. that represented. And that, to me, was super inspiring because it made me realize that, like, just through my day-to-day, I have the ability to make an impact Absolutely. and to make an impact on what your son and what my sons and your sons and my sons and mm-hmm. what everybody's going to think about is leadership in the future. Mm-hmm. And, like, that wasn't accessible to me. Like, I looked around, and I didn't see many CEOs or public company CEOs or tech CEOs that looked anything like me. And right. so, um, you know, I think just being able to realize that just through being me and authentically being me, I can mm-hmm. make a difference um, has really changed how much I embrace being a woman and how mm-hmm. much I um, I understand that there's more gravity in what I do, but I also respect that and in some ways cherish it and mm-hmm. um, and hope that, you know, these micro things that I do can help to change what leadership looks like 20 years and, from now. And do you, you never didn't want to not be CEO of this. Often founders are moved aside and stuff like that. Do you, how difficult is it to grow as the company grows? It's, I mean, it is. Not everyone makes it. Very few make it, actually, founders. It's interesting if you watch Bezos was one of them. Like, there's just a, more, less than you think. Yeah. No, it's true. And I think some of that is is the founder not wanting to do it. Some of it is capability. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I don't know. I've kind of loved all the stages, honestly. And I've each one is really challenging in its own way. And mm-hmm. that has kept the job really interesting for me. And um, But the number one thing that I am grateful for is just having an experienced team around me. And mm-hmm. so, like, Mike Smith, my COO, who's now been with me for seven years. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the CEO of Walmart.com. Right. I mean, he'd seen so much—he's seen more scale than what we're currently doing. He's mm-hmm. seen so much scale. He's um, he's an amazing leader, and I got to learn from him. And um, just being able to ha- be surrounded by people that I was learning from who are giving me feedback, who are making me better, um, like, there is no question that that had um, probably— the biggest impact in me being able to scale with the, with the business. And lastly, you've been you're on a couple of boards of Glossier, as I said, we mm-hmm. said before, and GitHub. Those are and Grubhub. Grubhub. Sorry, um, not GitHub. Grubhub. Why did you decide that? I'm just curious. Those were two unusually different businesses. I love them both. Um, so Grubhub, I joined before we went public. And that was, um, I mean, I've learned so much from that company. But um, they've grown a ton. They've been a very fast growth company in a very competitive space. Sure, are. Um, all of them. God, and they've been, crazy and, with Uber But Eats, they've so. been super successful. If you mm-hmm. look back and, like, their stock is volatile like ours is. But yeah. um, you look at what they've delivered in terms of financial performance, and it's, it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've learned a ton from that of a team that's really seen scale and has um, grown and continue to grow at a really large scale um, and doing it profitably, which we are also. And so yeah. there's so much that I've learned from that. I don't know, that market's a death match. But it's growing. The whole I market know, is I know, growing. But I just feel, oh, geez. Grubhub is doing Hunger it profitably. Games. Hunger Games at some point. Like, <laughs> there's too many people entering the picture. It's it's competitive, yeah. no question. Yeah. Um, and then Glossier, I love, I mean, I love Emily. She's a super inspiring entrepreneur. And I learn a lot from her, too. And um, they're amazing at brand building. They're amazing at experience building and um, and those are things that you know, we we have less experience in doing and mm-hmm. so which um, is their own products they have they make they all, do their all their own products, products yeah, and they, they have an amazing slowly. brand and what is it like a hundred SKUs they have they just have yeah probably something like that not that many small, yeah. yeah. Um, and so both of those, like, I, I, I do them because I love them. I learn mm-hmm. a lot from them, and I'm able to bring a lot of those learnings back to Stitch Fix. And um, and I think um, and they've both been fun. So two more questions. One, uh, you talked about the stock being up and down. How do you assess your stock success? Like, what do you, how does that affect you? 
Because um, some people think maybe you'll get bought. Maybe you'll be. Do you do you think <laughs> about that? Uh, no, I don't think about that as much as I, I think what I. How would I articulate this? I think when I first, this is another learning, honestly. Like when we first went public, probably kind of flippantly, I was like, oh, like don't look at the stock price. Like it only matters where it is a few years from now. Mm -hmm. But like the reality is like we're in Silicon Valley. Like lots of people, the stock price Mm -hmm. is like that is a big part of their compensation. And so it was flippant for me to say that. Um, And so it's flippant from – and so – but what I realize is that like we need to respect where it is but also like we need to be making the decisions that are driving into the longer term. And so like I can't ignore the fact that people – do look at it, mm-hmm. and that um, and that people do get stressed when it's high, or, or well, mostly when it's low, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I do. I think we have to acknowledge it more. But I do think that like the lens really should be around like you know, you're getting a stock option grant that's going to last for four years, and where is that value going to be over the longer term? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the stock has definitely been volatile. If you zoom out, it's mm-hmm. going in the right direction. And I think you know we're really excited about the things that we're doing right now that can help us to um, to continue to drive that way and to accelerate, hopefully. Drive that way. And so, um, so I don't know, my mind has changed a little bit of just like making sure that we are acknowledging it and making sure that we recognize. Yeah. Um, Wall Street doesn't that, get retail as much as they, they give. They're not as fair to retail as they are. They're tougher on the things that they should be tough about as they are, say, on a social media company. They give more yeah, and Leverage. that, you know, it's funny, that whole, like, retail or tech thing has actually yeah. been challenging also because, you know, I think there are, we have people who are looking at our metrics from a tech lens, we have people yeah. who are looking from a retail lens, and, and you know, we're newer in this business, and so it's, I yeah, think Retail we're, always seems to get it harder than other businesses. Sometimes there, I was talking to an analyst, and he was, like, being hard on maybe your stock, I can't remember which stock, and I was like, if you gave a thing to this one, which <laughs> is a Ponzi scheme, as far as I can tell. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm watching closely, and it's just, it was interesting, the judge level of certain businesses. It was one of the car companies that closed. <laughs> I was like, come on. Like, look at the economics. There. But anyway, it was it, it was the promise of someday. I'm like, really? Like, it was but interesting. It's, totally. It's, interesting. it's Retail our responsibility, really, really. I mean, it's our responsibility to bring people along and educate them and understand um, why Stitch Fix is, is going to be successful over no, the longer the interesting term. interesting companies and, are coming out of retail. The most interesting yeah, and innovative companies so are too. 100% coming out of retail. No question. Um, last question. I asked this to Megan Rapinoe last night. So what's the quality about you that people underestimate? She said she's disarming, which is true, which is actually true. What do you think your quality that people underestimate? As a CEO, um, as as an entrepreneur, I think like I mean, authentic is maybe the word. Like I, I have given up on pretending that I am anybody that I am not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the example I use a lot is using the word like. Where mm-hmm. I, I mean, years I was doing I forget it maybe a talk with you I mm-hmm. don't remember, but I was doing a talk on stage and somebody tweeted at me or sent me a message on LinkedIn and it was like, hey, you, I I loved your your talk, but like you say like too much and it makes you sound young and inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. It was me. Yeah, it was, was, it, it was a talk Was it with, with you? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I am young and I am inexperienced. Like, why should I pretend that I'm, like, <laughs> old and full of experience? Like, And so I, I think, like, there are things like that that yeah. on, on the surface that you might judge somebody because they are a certain way. And I think at one point I wanted to evolve those or change those or show up in a way so that you wouldn't think that about me. And then now I feel more like I should embrace those things because like there's other people who say like who would also be an amazing business leader that mm-hmm. maybe somebody is discounting because of it. And mm-hmm. so um, I don't know. I think it's just like the 
is the word for that authenticity? I don't know. I'm just like I am yeah. who I am, and I'm right. not going to pretend to be anybody else. Right. All right. That's a good. That's a good one. That's a good one to end on. Katrina, thank you for coming on the show. It's thank a you really, for having I, me. I use very few businesses, but I do use this one. I don't know why, I, but I just enjoy it. <laughs> Irrational loyalty. I no, love it. No, it's not. It's just enjoyable. I like it. I look forward to it. I like any product that I either have products that either I find utilitarian, useful, entertain me. Or it's a must-have. Like uh-huh. I think those are the three things of products these days, as far as I can tell. That's great. And if all of them are combined, that's really great. So yours Amazing. is useful and entertaining. It's not a must-have. I like and get clothes anywhere, right? But I don't like shopping, so it's perfect for me. I really do like your product. It's great. I'm not. That's not an ad for Stitch Fix, <laughs> but I like it. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at, at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Katrina, where can people find you online? At KM Lake on Twitter and, or uh, at K Laker on Instagram. Okay, and then uh, uh, your company at Stitch Fix, right? At Stitch Fix. Oh, right. yes, of course. And they're very I'm sorry. responsive. Most, yes, very at nice. Stitch Fix on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, they're very responsive. I, my box got stolen recently, not a couple of years, a year ago. Anyway, if you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcast, Recode Media Pivot and Land of the Giants, which is a new show from Jason Del Rey. It's really good. It's about it's about Amazon, their first one. You should listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's on my list, actually. Yeah, it's frightening. Anyway, no, it's not. It's really fascinating. He got some really great interviews with executives there, and they're not a very chatty group yeah, in general. good for him. Just search for them on your podcast app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. <laughs>